Welcome to Too Many Audibles, where we discuss and debate the hottest topics around the sports world. If you like our content, make sure you follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Too Many Audibles. What is up, everybody? Welcome back. Y'all already know what it is. Another week of Too Many Audibles, but this time's a little bit different because we get to cover Week one of college football. It's finally back, baby. We back. We How finally y'all feel? Bro, there's just something in the air, and I just love smelling it, and that's college football. Hey, now, as Kendrick Lamar said, and family ties, smoke on your top five tonight, Cam, and that's what your Bulldogs did against those Tigers. <laughs> hey, that's right. Them Bulldogs came ready to play. They took a big old bite out of that tiger. You know what? Screw it. We tiger poaching this season, baby. We don't yeah. even care. <laughs> tell, tell the game board and actors, tell them meet us in the playoff. But you know what? That's coming up. I, I got to say, before we get started, I know we're here to talk about some college football tonight. But for all those that are watching on YouTube, I'm sorry for the ones that are listening to the podcast. I'm wearing a TJ Watt jersey because I got to say, pay the man. I need somebody in the SEALs organization to see this, and I need y'all to pay that man. It's going to happen. All right. It's going to happen now. Now that, I got that out, now that I got that out of the way, let's kick it off with a man that's already getting paid. Let's start this show off talking about the number one team, the number one quarterback in NIL, according to Nick Saban. No receipts have been shown to prove so. Yeah, let's see his Bryce bank Young. account. Let's see his bank account. Bryce Young. I want to see the promise. Yeah, we need the proof. I mean, Nick Saban said he's got a million dollars, but I ain't seen no receipts showing so. But, hey, he played like a million-dollar man. I, I'm not going to lie. You know, I'm, I'm the type of guy, you gotta, I'm a see before I believe it kind of guy. Um, you know, I've heard all year about how good Alabama's going to be, and I know how good they, they typically are under Saban. I know they're going to reload. I didn't expect to fall off. But, I mean, when you put two, three offensive linemen in the draft – Two receivers, your quarterback, your running back, and a couple defensive players. You expect a little bit of drop off, and how good Miami's going to be? Well, I mean, time will tell as the season goes on. I don't think they'll be that great, but nonetheless, it's a top fifteen team coming into it. And Alabama did not look like they missed a beat. Dismantled them from the start. That brings me to my first point of who lost the weekend. Did y'all see that poor Miami boy that put on the chain and had to take it off because the turnover got overturned? Bro, <laughs> he was down in those trenches in that game, man. That's you just, can you imagine? They debut, they debut the chain. They put it around him. He's feeling nice for a second. Down, down by like 20 points, by the way. And then they come and take it off, man. That's just, that's just a big fat L. I mean, like that whole coaching staff a bunch of Indian givers. I, you know, I think the turnover incentives, I think that every team, what they do is really cool. But I heard Kirk Kerbstreet say something, and I agree with him. If you're down by 30, let's just leave the celebrating the turnovers. Let's just leave that at home. Like you would think, too. Like, I, if, if I was in that situation and I was in a football game and I made a big play and then I look up, you know, I, I have an interception, force a fumble, something like that, and I look up at the scoreboard and I'm like – Damn, I was like, we're still losing by 17 plus. I'd be like, yo, keep that chain off me. I ain't trying to dunk no football into a trash can. Like, just stay away from me. Like, we're losing. We're losing by 17 right now. And, and y'all want to hand me this, you know, flashy bit of plastic gold? Like, hey, just keep that for yourself. 
I think the uh, the winner of the weekend, though, is Maryland's social media team. Did y'all see that certified loser whoa, whoa, boy post? Whoa, whoa, whoa. Why are you, why are you jumping ahead? Topics. We're talking about winning. Tari talking about winners and losers? Yeah. <laughs> oh, hey, okay, okay. Why is Maryland so so big? What's what's their winner? They beat West Virginia in. and then they posted that certified loser boy post on social that's, media. That, that's pretty cold. That was, I didn't actually see that, that. was hard. I did that's, actually see that. That was that was pretty cold. There's some creative kids out there. And um I, I if if I have to go with with my uh, loser of the week, not necessarily a team, I'd have to say um, Ed Orgeron. Uh, poor guy was was talking trash about UCLA's sissy blue shirts, and um, you know they they get upset by UCLA. Next thing you know, UCLA's Twitter changed their header to say sissy blue on a T-shirt, and the U in the word blue was the UCLA logo, and that that's just cold. You know, we we talking about, um, you know, a, a guy in Ed Orgeron who's had success, won a national championship, um, you know, then to get clowned like that on social media by a team you just got upset by, that that's pretty cold. Yeah, I I, I saw that as well, and I, mean, I saw the video of him walking in, yelling at the fans, and I mean, the first thing I thought of. When I saw that, which, first of all, how unprofessional of a coach to be, you know, kind of going bantering with fans, bantering with hecklers right before a game. And, you know, and, and that's probably why it translated straight on the field about LSU losing, because, you know, that's your leader. That's the persona. That's the attitude he's taking into it. A, a cocky, you know, I'm going to talk my shit, like do my thing. I'd be worried if LSU players even want to still play for this guy, especially after a loss like that and after his antics off-season and off-season last year. And, I mean, in this first game now, I mean, it's just not a good – That's the thing, too, that blows me away is, like, he – at this point, like, yeah, like, 2019 was great, but they have – they don't have any reason to be acting like they're better than every team they play right now. Like, not at all. What did you do better than – any other team last season, you yeah, you know what I'm saying. Like yeah. it'd be different if that's you know Nick Saban saying something like that, or you know even Kirby Smart, where you're going into the game and you're already you know favored. You're you know you're projected to win. You've had success every single year for the last five six years. Um, you know, and then Ed Orgeron thinking he's he's still on that high horse of that national championship team, and I hate to break it to him, but they're not going to be back there for a while. I, I think that was kind of his one and done. LSU is five and six since winning the national championship. And I know last year they they had a lot of players leave for draft and they had a lot of opt-outs. But you know, this year was supposed to be the, the, the bounce back year. And I know they lost their quarterback, uh Miles Brennan to, to an ACL injury, you know, right before the season started and whatnot. But there's no denying how well Orgeron has recruited at LSU, um, the way he was hyped up. But man, I mean, since then it's really looking like he's a one hit wonder. It might simply just be a culture problem with LSU. I mean, you can have all the talent in the world, but if you don't want to play for the guy telling you what to do, it's it's. I mean, it's impossible to lead a team that way. So no, no, you're absolutely right. I think Bryce. I mean, and, and this isn't a dog on you, but you you've seen that kind of firsthand. I've seen that firsthand. Um, you know, with, with Florida State and Tennessee over the last couple of years, you're talking about programs who should not have any problem recruiting, should not have any problem getting guys to buy in to the atmosphere, to the fans, to the stadium. And then you have all the talent you need to be successful, 
But if those players don't buy in and, and they're not rocking with the guy that's leading the charge, it, it's, it's hard to get anything done. Yeah, I like to attribute LSU's success to the two Joes, Joe Brady and Joe Burrow. And I think Coach Ogeron got way too much credit. And, I mean, I think he's a good coach. I, I really do. But, you know, just from what we've seen the last two years, it just all signs point to Joe Brady and Joe Burrow, you know, and all those other insane receivers they had and playmakers that just really carry the success. And now that... Coach O is actually having to coach what he has. You know, we're starting to see. I mean, it's not like they're recruiting bad. They're still getting, you know, top 10, top 15 classes in. So yeah. it's just like, I think the writing is slowly starting to appear on the wall. And especially just the, the way they've started the season out with just UCLA and they counted their chickens before they hatched. You know, that's not a sign of a good program if you're already taking the W before you even get on the field. It's just like stuff like that yeah. just drives me crazy, man. <laughs> You know, it's starting to look like Orgeron. I mean, I know the season has, the, you know, the rest of the time to pan out and whatnot. But it's starting to look like Orgeron so far is being defined by the Burrow era. I mean, the, yeah. the two year, the two seasons Joe Burrow was there, they went, they went ten and three his first year, second year fifteen and zero, twenty five and three in the two years he's that sent like with Joe Burrow. Without Joe Burrow, if I'm not mistaken, he's got like 12 13 losses like let's not forget he lost to troy at home in baton rouge troy came into baton rouge the year before burrow showed up and beat lsu so it's starting to look like joe burrow i mean has saved orgeron's career you know and uh i heard i heard some guys say last year you know every coach gets one mulligan year as far as like you can have a bad year in the fans and you know they'll kind of overlook it and you're like this is your one shot Last year was Orgeron's year. They yeah. went three and seven, three like that was their that was their or, or four and six or whatever it was. That was their, that was his one year. He if he goes sub five hundred, eight maybe even seven and five, that he might just get out of there. Yeah, he'll be on the hot seat for sure. I think he's already there. I, I would I would you can make a case for it. Um, I mean, it's hard to just completely give a coach the boot. You know, only two years after a national championship, so. I think if this year, if if they don't have a, a you know, if they don't have an eight nine win season, I, I think he's definitely looking at you know, he's he's getting out of LSU. Um, speaking of um, coaches, say, not on add, the hot seat. Go can ahead. I add one more thing? Can I add one more thing to that? You know, yep. here on here on too many audibles. You know, we we like to be a little bit bold sometimes. So you know, I'm going to go ahead and say this. Orgeron is fired before the season is over. Before the season wraps up, I think Orgeron gets fired because I'm sitting here looking at their schedule. And if you know, if I'm being honest with you, I think they lose to Auburn, Alabama, AM, and LSU, Ole Miss. That's five. They've already got six. You know, I'm going to go on him and say they lose at least seven. If he, if he drops to Florida and Auburn, I wouldn't be surprised. I wouldn't be surprised because. A&M and Alabama kind of, I guess, are That's guaranteed. That's guaranteed. Right. But it's like Florida and especially Auburn on the first year head coach, That those are some that you should. And we'll see. Hey, we'll see. so I'm, I'm calling it right now. LSU is going to pull too many audibles, <laughs> and they're going to have a new coach for this end of the season. I, I, it wouldn't, I, I wouldn't say that it would completely surprise me. Um, 
like I, like where I was going. Speaking of, of coaches that are not on the hot seat, at least yet, um, is Josh Heupel um, down in, in, in Tennessee in Knoxville, yeah, Rocky yeah. Top. Um, you know, I, I will say um, being able to watch that game, um, there was a lot of good takeaways and, and there was a lot of bad takeaways. Um, you know, everyone was I, – I, I was kind of shocked when they named Joe Milton the starter. Um, I was kind of expecting Harrison Bailey, um, you know. But Milton, he, he was okay at times, and, and there's clearly some things that he still needs to work on. Um, I'm not expecting the dude to come out and, um, and ball out, <clears throat> one, in his first SEC game start, and two, with a first-year SEC head coach. You're talking about the turnaround of players they had leave um, – I mean, it, it's tough for, for anyone to do that. I'm not sure Harrison Bailey could have even done it. Um, so it is Excellent. tough. I, I did like a lot of things I saw from him. I think kind of each of those quarterbacks, if you look at them, Joe Milton, Hendon Hooker, and Harrison Bailey, they each have uh, completely different games that, that you know favor our offense in, in more ways than the others. Joe Milton provides a combination of Deep ball threat. He can launch the ball 65-plus yards in the air, and he's a big body and and provides red zone rushing or or goal line rushing. Hendon Hooker is more of that kind of dual threat. You know, he he can really make plays with his legs, but he's also a pretty good passer, whereas Harrison Bailey is more of the traditional Tennessee quarterbacks of pocket passer, pro-style you're you're standing in the pocket and you're just delivering strikes all day. He can make a play with his legs if he needs to, but that's not his first option. So I, I was I was fairly impressed. Um I can't say that I was over the moon. Um, you know, I, I can say a lot about the running backs. Um Jabari Small and, and uh Tyon Evans combined for two hundred and thirty yards, uh, which is Tyon Evans looked good. He did look good. Um so that that's at least reassuring, even against Bowling Green kind of going into the season because uh, a lot of these SEC games, if you can't get the the ground game going, it, it's hard. It really is, you know, and such a just fast, strong, just defensive lines and, and front sevens and, and cornerbacks. It, it's tough to win games if you can't get the running game going. So um, <clears throat> I, I definitely enjoyed that aspect of the game. I have a – my my three biggest takeaways from that game is like you said the rushing was phenomenal. Um, it took them a while to figure it out because you know going into the halftime it was fourteen to six, and I was yep. like, man, I want Tennessee to be looking better than they are right now. Like you know, service to the fans, just win this game comfortably. And Hypel eventually went to that running attack more in the second half, and you know we started seeing it pay dividends. But like you're saying, the passing Tennessee only had one hundred and forty four yards passing that game, and. As we saw, we'll go. We'll touch on it a little bit, but as we saw from Georgia, you know, like they've got the run game figured out, and that's the case with many other SEC teams. So Milton's going to have to rely on his arm more to throw. He's going to have to get those younger guys involved more, and Hopple's going to have to drop better plays to get him involved. And also, too, another takeaway was we all know that Hypo likes to run the game fast. And Tennessee, they only had about 23 minutes of total possession that game but they ended up running like almost 90 plays so hypo i mean that offense is go 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 and it was funny because you know i was watching the game i would sit down for a second look away and he'd have already run another play before i could even like realize it so that offense is new it's fresh the fans seem to love it so far 
And we just have to see it pay off. And we just have to see that, you know, those zone runs that they had worked against Bowling Green. But, you know, when it when you play like a Georgia or Florida or someone like that where, you know, it may not come as easy, it's time for uh, it's time for him to start throwing. And that's something they got to get figured out. And I think as the season goes along, they will. Yeah, I mean, I, I will say, kind of touching on that, I think the one of the biggest parts of, of Tennessee's success on offense this year is going to be third down conversions. Um, they went seven for 15 in the game on Saturday – or Thursday, rather. Um, you know, so that that's going to be a, a key part, especially in in a fast tempo, you know, offense where they just want to they want to snap the ball, they want to get lined up, they want to catch you off guard, they want to run, you know, two zone reads in a row and then take a shot fifty yards downfield. If if your offense isn't having success and it gets to those third down and and manageable, you know, third and five, third and six, you're going to have to convert because when you're running an offense that fast you're not giving your defense time to rest. Um, you know, so you saw that a little bit in that game when the offense wasn't really clicking a little bit and Bowling Green started taking their time. Um, they wanted to keep the defense out there on the field. And, you know, with the anticipation that if Tennessee gets the ball back and they go a quick three and out or it's a, you know, 45-second minute drive, their defense coming right back onto the field. So that'll that'll definitely be the biggest part of their success this season because. Against some of these teams, you know, in the SEC, you're not going to be able to hang. If, if you're keeping your defense out on the field double the time your offense, it's just not going to work out for you. So a lot of, a lot of good takeaways, a lot of bad takeaways. Um, I know the spread was 37. Uh, we won by 32. Um, overall, pretty happy with, with how the game turned out. Got off to a little slow start. First two drives looked good. Found the end zone on both of those. Um we we held him to 32 yards rushing. I know that doesn't speak, you know, a ton of volume, but the defense was one of the bigger question marks coming into the year. Um, you know, we we got some dogs on the line. Uh, Trayvon Flowers had 11 total tackles from the cornerback spot. So um, a lot of a lot of good takeaways from that game. I'm excited for the rest of the season. Um, you know, I, I think it'll be good. And if the offense can really really start just picking apart teams. Um, I, I think it'll be very interesting down the stretch. You know, I won't, I won't give too too much explanation on uh, how I feel Tennessee is going to do for the rest of the season. I mean, I, I've been I've been pretty vocal, but I don't I don't think they're going to be too great. But I, I will let it play out before I just start dogging Tennessee. As much as I would like to dog Tennessee, but I will say this: the the two things that I, I noticed that I saw from the game that I really loved two breakout performances. Would one be Tyon Evans? I mean. No, he rushed for the what hundred? I think one hundred sixteen yards in a touchdown. I believe. Yeah. Okay, exactly. Not only did he rush that, he ran physical. He ran angry. He ran like an SEC <laughs> running back, and and that's something that I think Tennessee needs because after the you know the transfers of Ty Chandler and um I can't think of the guy that Eric went to Gray. Oklahoma right now. Eric Gray loved him. Both of them, they had. Styles that fit in the SEC, and Tennessee needs that. And I believe, even though it's just it was uh, just that gun Bowling Green, I think that's exactly what they need. They found a good runner, so I was really surprised with him on the offensive side. And well, I you know, say, you know, just a year ago, he was the number one JUCO running back prospect. So I can't say I knew that. that yeah, so I, I believed it. Kid's a baller for sure. It. 
Um, you know, I think that'll be a great one-two punch this season with Jabari Small yeah. and him. Two different type of runners, but if they're playing hard and they're running downhill, uh, those are those are some some big guys to to hit. Absolutely, and just my my defensive player, and then Taylor, I'll let I'll let you go. I was gonna say my defensive player that I was surprised with. I was you know happy with Tennessee was their defensive back Theo Jackson, eleven tackles, six solo tackles, two and a half tackles for a loss, and three pass breakups. I don't even care if you're playing Bowling Green or if you're playing Alabama. That's a hell of a stat line that in any Division One college game you should be proud of. I was I was kind of like surprised when I saw that. I was like, man, that guy's balling out. Yeah, that and that's who I meant to say earlier. Not Trayvon Flowers. Theo Jackson was was who I was thinking. Um, but okay. Okay. he was he was all over the field. Um, and and last season, um, you know, he made some plays, but um, he really came alive and. Um, I mean, he was he was running fast. He was getting to the sideline, and he was just swarming to the ball, which is is always reassuring to see for a younger player to do that under a first year head coach. And and what when the offense has really taken more of that kind of you know limelight, if you will, away from that defense. And I know they're wanting to step up and and make plays and prove to not only the coaches but to the fans and say, hey, the offense may be good, but we're right here too. You know, so. Um, great performance by him. Yeah, I will say uh, this is kind of a game that you, you know, a new head coach for your team, you know, introduce a new scheme, introduce uh, a new culture. Like we were talking about the work, uh, something different than Jeremy Pruitt brought, get the players excited, get the fans excited. It's exactly what you wanted to see. I will say Joe Milton looked a lot more comfortable playing. I know it was only one game in, you know, against Bowling Green, but he looked more comfortable in this offense than he did in Michigan, yeah. which is, is a big help. And I really think, you know, he's not really a runner, but he's a big guy and they could really utilize him in the red zone. I mean, he's, running he's 6'5", 250. I mean, you're talking about a, a dude that's, you know, physically similar to Cam Newton. I mean, that's a big boy to, to try to bring down. He's not going to blaze you, but I mean, get him down within those eight, 10 yards. He, he can he can make that happen. Hey, yeah, which they mean, want he actually touchdowns. So, one thing about Joe Milton, I mean his arm. If you need him to throw it forty yards, he gonna throw it forty yards. Yeah. If you need him to throw it thirty yards, he gonna throw it forty yards. Yeah. Which <laughs> he just got a strong. He got a strong arm. Yeah. He may not and, be the most accurate, but he got a strong arm. Yeah, that's one of the, kind of my takeaways too, um, which he'll definitely need to work on. I mean, there's no doubt about it. He can throw the ball as far as he wants to. It's a matter of reading those defenses and knowing when to let off of it a little bit. I mean, the score would have been worse. He missed two wide open receivers on a deep ball that, if, if it was in reach, it would have been touchdowns. Um, you know, so missing those, he just he needs to figure out how to dial it back, when to put a little bit more air under it, let his receiver make a play. Um, he threw a dart to Cedric Tillman in the back of the end zone when he snagged on that dude. I mean, that's a 40-yard pass on a rope. Um, so he's got a strong arm, just needs to figure out a couple of those things. Um, he's just hurts of his talent. We'll, um, we'll, we'll truly know more about him when Pittsburgh comes, you know, when they play Pittsburgh. I think that will be a more true test to what Tennessee and Hypo are actually going to be doing this season. 
Um, no. Pittsburgh, they're not a pushover. They're, they're, you know, they're a middle of the line ACC team. They've won, they win some games they shouldn't. They lose some games, you know, they shouldn't either. So you don't really know what you get from them, but you know, they're they're usually pretty solid. So I will be tuning into that game to see what Tennessee brings to the table for sure. Yeah, if we're speaking of not having a strong arm, let's turn over to the uh, the Georgia Clemson game from this Whoa. past weekend. <laughs> Whoa, more like. Remember, if you want to talk about a defense strong arming an offense of doing absolutely nothing, <laughs> let's absolutely <laughs> talk about that. It was that. a battle and it was a war, and Georgia won both. So oh! we're, not, we're not going to let Cam kick this segment off. Um, we'll, we'll let one of one of us go first. We'll let Cam wrap it up. Um, y'all, y'all kick it off. What did, y'all, what did y'all think about? What was y'all's biggest takeaway from that? This top five Georgia Clemson highly anticipated matchup from this weekend. Georgia may possibly have one of, if not the best defenses in all of college football. And uh. it, I mean, I know it's something that comes into every season, something that's supposed to be expected, but going up against a team like Clemson to have seven sacks, to have only allow two rushing yards, no offensive touchdowns, no touchdowns, period. Like it was something to see. And while our offense wasn't torching everyone like we wanted to see i mean our offense did exactly what it needed to to win that game specifically in that night Thanks. so Thanks. i'm not really worried about the offense at all we're five jt can throw it against these teams that really we're not too worried about so for this game specifically saturday night i think we did exactly what they needed to to get the win and we did so it's exciting yeah bryce what'd you what'd you take away from it How'd your boy DJ Uwe Uwe Angale? Uwe Angale. DJ, you got sacked again. (laughs) I saw that. (laughs) He was very, what's the word to use? He, I don't know what the word to use is, but I had, I had a set expectation for him. And I was like, he's going to come to the game. He's going to look good. But he got shut down. As everyone listening that watched the game knows, he got shut down. And I don't think, I don't think that is really a, a testament to Clemson's offense. I think that's a testament to uh, Georgia's defense. Like, just looking over the players, you got four number one linebackers in the nation coming out of high school on that you know linebacker core. You got that defensive line going. Keely Ringo was unleashed in that game. You know that defense, man. I was just something about a good defensive battle like that. It's just so much fun to watch. I'll take that over an offensive shootout any day. That game was fun. It, I think it reminds Clemson, me, real quick, Bryce, it reminds me of that Alabama-LSU game six, seven that. years I, I, ago. I was about to say that. Yeah, that's true. But, well, when you, you know, you can go ahead, sir. I was just going to say, when you think about it, if we hadn't had a pick six and Georgia hadn't missed a field goal early on, that game could have very well ended at six to three. Yeah. On the defensive matchup. That's all I was going to say. But, I mean, I mean, too, I think – I think people are looking all at Georgia. Like, I mean, rightfully so. Georgia had a great game, but that Clemson defense too, man. Georgia's offense. I don't. I had high expectations of them too. Even though they're missing Darnell, they were missing Eric Gilbert, they were missing Blaylock, they were missing Pickens. You know, they still had Zeus and guys like that in the backfield that doing that do their thing every year. And Clemson's defense, man, they held their own. That's a very solid defensive line. And people were talking about Georgia's defensive line. You know, 99% of the time, but that Clemson defensive line, Brian Breesey, Miles Murphy, guys like that, 
They're stupid good. They're stupid good. And so they held their own. Clemson's going to be just fine. If DJ can figure it out, you know, I think Clemson, they don't have anything to worry about. They're going to still run the ACC, I feel like. But that was a good game overall, and I came away very happy with the result, even though I kind of wanted Clemson to win a little bit. But still, it was a great game. I will say, you say Clemson's going to be okay. I mean, table, will they still be – I don't know if they'll be okay in the sense of playoff. Because, I mean, with, I, well, no, that's what I'm yeah. saying. Duke losing the game they lost, UNC losing, Miami losing. Louisville. I mean, all of this just happened in the course of this past weekend. So it's just like all those teams ACC needed to be dominant for Clemson's schedule, gone. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, and I'll kind of talk – before I kind of go on that, I mean, that's exactly what I was going to hit and say with as far as, you know, Clemson's playoff hopes. You know, Clemson can, Clemson can afford a playoff loss – or, I mean, a, a loss to Georgia, but what they couldn't afford is the rest of the ACC to crap the bed and look bad. And that's what happened. That's what hurt him. Uh, but before we, t- before we go on that, because that's actually my loser for the weekend is their playoff chances, and we'll hit that in another segment. I will say I was very, I was very happy with the game. Um, that was one of the – you know, going into it, you know, typically as a, as a Georgia fan, and I'll – you know, Devin, I know Bryce, I don't know much about this here recently. But typically, when you, when you go into a game and you win, Georgia here recently in the past few years, we are we're very critical. We're, we're expected to win. The win is expected. And typically, mo- more times than not, we get the win. And so it's more about being unhappy with how we got the win. It was always, well, offense could have done this better. Well, if we had done this better, we would have blown them out. This game shouldn't have been that close. And And I feel like, you know, I see a lot of unhappy Georgia fans this game talking about our offense but you know what when you when you're on week one and you're going and you're facing a top three preseason top three team you take that win no matter how you can get it your number one goal is you go in there and you get the w you you know what i'm saying i'll figure it's a lot easier it's a lot better to figure out things on offense and work through your kinks being one and oh than it is being oh and one and quite honestly georgia's defense that may be the in all my years of watching football, I can't think of a single time that I've watched an offensive line get more abused from the first quarter to the fourth quarter straight across the line. I mean, you want to talk about left tackle to right tackle. Every single lineman was getting abused on 90% of the plays. I mean, and I, obviously, as a Georgia fan, I was thrilled to see it, loved to see it. I was happy with what we did. Now, part of it, I do think we got very lucky that Clemson is in a transition stage of new quarterback, really his first real pressurized start, new running back. You know what I'm saying? They, they, there's a couple things that fit into it as well, but I think Georgia's going to have a great defense. As far as that offense is concerned, I must say, I know, I know it's typical Georgia of me. I'm not worried. I'm not concerned. I mean, I don't know, David, you laugh, but I'm, I'm really concerned because, I mean, when you look at it, when you look at who, who G, I mean, JT Daniels went 22 of 30, so it's 73% of his passes against a defense who had the best defensive line, led the, led the league in sacks last year, or led the NFL, or the college football world in sacks last year, and brings back eight of 11 starters on that defense, one of which who actually transferred to Georgia, thank you for us. So that's a really good defense that they're facing nonetheless. And when you look at the players that Georgia has, that JT Downs had to throw to, Brock Bowers, true freshman. Um, Jake Johnson, walk-on scholarship freshman. 
Uh, Marcus Rosemary, Marcus Rosemary Jack Saint, sophomore. Landon McConkey, freshman. Jermaine Burton, sophomore. Um, Arian Smith, sophomore, and John Fitzpatrick, who's a junior tight end who's actually third string. So when you look at the fact that Kyrus Jackson, who also is a starter for this team, for whatever whatever reason he was still injured, didn't play offense, just played he, – he returned punts, but he didn't play offense for us. So when you count on the fact that we just played a, a great defense, like Taylor said, without Pickens, Gilbert, Washington, Jackson, all and uh, Blaylock, those guys, most of those guys are going to come back throughout the season, and we're going to get better. Yeah, I and, and I'm not is, saying that, That you know, I think that the, the biggest takeaway that everyone is going to talk about from that game is Georgia's offense. Rightfully so. Sure. Same thing that you're talking about with Clemson's offense. Um, you know, kind of watching that game, you know, it, it's hard. There, it, there didn't seem to be a point in that game where DJ felt really comfortable. And it's because it's hard to get comfortable in a really big game like that at a neutral site. You're not at home. You don't have that crowd feeding into it. Um, You know, it's hard to settle down and get comfortable and find a rhythm when you're running for your life and your offensive line is is allowing whoever wants to come through there a free sack. Oprah Winfrey handing out sacks all night. And then you're talking about uh, you can't settle down when you don't have the opportunity to. There wasn't a single point in that game where DJ could just drop back, go through his progressions, find the best read, and make an accurate throw. He didn't have time to. you know. So that is the biggest – obviously that is a credit to Georgia's defense just as much as it is a credit to Clemson's offensive line. That was their biggest question mark coming into the year. You know, Who's going to step up? Who's going to make plays? Who's going to fill those spaces in the line to where – they're able to have success later on in the season. They're not going to face another defensive line in front seven like Georgia's this year in the regular season. But it, it's hard for a quarterback with that much pressure after Trevor Lawrence to to even play in a game like that when when you get sacked seven times. Um, it's and I mean y'all heard the quote too. It's also hard to do anything when you don't have a run game. You know yeah. when you can't run the ball. It's it's hard to do anything, and I mean y'all have heard the saying, the quote before: "Football is a game of inches." Well, Clemson rushed for seventy-two of them. Seventy-two total inches is what Clemson amassed amassed in that game rushing against Georgia's defense. So I don't care who you are, if you rush for two yards, the chances of you winning decline drastically. Yeah, I mean sacks do. Let's, let's remember sacks do play a part in that rushing total, and getting sacked seven times plays a factor. I think I, I looked at I looked at it though. Even without the sacks, they would have only rushed for like seventy ish yards, maybe. Well, if hey, I'm not mistaken, though, I will. Say, I will say though, that's not off, off the top of my head. I could be wrong, but I think that's like literally maybe the fifth or sixth time. Taylor, maybe help me out on this. Five or six times that in the Kirby Smart era, we've held a team under five yards rushing. I know we held Tennessee to negative two last year. Clemson to two. The state game in 2017 was one. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's like – It's, it's almost kind of – Didn't we hold them to like nine rushing yards, something like that? So it was very low. I mean, I will say it's it's become a trend over the Kirby Smart era that like teams – Teams routinely have less than 20 yards rushing on Georgia's defense. And, and that's why so, I made such a big kind of touched on me being impressed with Tennessee's run game because getting it that kind of 
started early in the that. season and being able to to play off of that each week is huge. You know, when you get into those big time games and, and you know, if you take away that the completely take away the passing game and the offensive line from a team, you can't pass the ball. You can't run the ball. You, you know what I'm saying? It's hard to do anything, and that's yeah. where Clemson struggled. Um, say you could make the same case for for Georgia's offense. I know Clemson didn't have you know how many sacks did they have? Maybe one or two. And one. One. So you know what I'm saying so that alone, Clemson's does have a great defense. Obviously, Georgia's missing a lot of those key factors in that offense. Um, you know, I think I think they'll be fine. I think they'll right the ship. Um, you know, Kirby did it, you know, last year with, with the whole Stetson Bennett, figuring that out, navigating, making it through, leaning on that defense to make plays in big time moments, gives you more time to get that offense where it needs to be. Um, going into a season in week one, I'd rather have a really stout defense and need to work on your offense than a really, really strong offense and, and need to work on that defense more times than not, to be honest with you. That's that's what I was exactly about to say. I mean, you open up with UAB next week at home, and that's the perfect time to figure out the offensive woes. And I don't think Georgia loses to another team on their schedule this year unless they just blow something crazy. And it's just like after watching that game, that defense, it's the best. It's like, like if this is the year Georgia's going to do something, it's this year. That defense is insane. And I think JT Daniels, I think some of the emotions got to him. Just the defense he was playing got to him. All those weapons out got to him. You're going to get figured out. He's going to get figured out. He's the guy in Athens for a reason. JT Daniels is good. And, you know, I used to like George a lot until I met Cameron. So, I mean, I hate to say this, but, I mean, they're going to be all right. That Clemson game, don't look at anything from the Clemson game besides the defense. Offense, just pretend it didn't happen. They'll do theirs. They'll take care of what they need to take care of against UAB, and that offense is going to get on track. And I don't think anyone, maybe the Vols, who knows, maybe I'm going to throw an obble later. I'm capping. I'm capping. Um, Too many audibles crew is bugging tonight. But um, no, I think those those Bulldogs. Tennessee going to change their program to too many coaches because that's what they go through. <laughs> Facts. Hey, Bryce, oh, yeah. you said, Bryce said that he used to like Georgia before he met Cameron. Well, I used to like Cameron before I knew he was a Georgia fan. <laughs> so it goes both ways. Um, uh, that's true. That's now, true. I do want to say this is I'm so glad we're bringing back our favorite Too Many Audible segment. And uh, Bryce, yeah. you just go ahead and let us know what that segment is. Who did Florida State lose to this weekend? <laughs> My favorite time of the week. And why don't you tell us, who did Florida State lose to this weekend? Well, Brian Kelly lost to the national media because he said he's going to execute his whole team. (laughs) That's not the segment name. That's not the segment. Oh, okay, okay. Uh, Florida State lost uh, this weekend in overtime against Notre Dame, and it was very painful. And I'm I'm still kind of sad about it, to be honest with you. But it's okay. We, We move on. We call audibles. We move on with things. You have honestly, Absolutely. like I get it, but you you should honestly be in a really good spot right now as a Florida State fan and as like a true hardcore Florida State fan. I really there is a lot of good takeaways from that game, and I even told you off air. Regardless of the outcome, it's either going to be a huge win for Mike Norvell in Florida State, or it's going to be a really really good loss for a Florida State team that showed glimpses 
of where they've been in the past, which is really reassuring to the fan base and to those Absolutely. players. And I'm, I'm the guy who like, when people say, Oh, it's a moral victory after they take a L, you know, I just kind of roll my eyes. I'm like moral victory. There's no moral victories in football, but I think the closest thing to a moral victory was that game. You know, yeah. when we were down by 18, I was like, all right, I'm probably just going to dip out, go to bed. You know, this game's over. Florida State is not going to come back. They did. They came back. They took them to overtime. Yeah. We iced our own kicker, though, but I get it. I would I would do the same thing in that situation. But that was a good game. I did not expect that, and I know none of y'all did, too. That's why I was pretty absent in the group chat because I was like, no, they're they going to clown on me. You know, You're like right. <laughs> He knows I'm, better. I'm like, Florida State's not going to win this game, but just the fact that we were competitive and Mackenzie Milton, we'll talk about that more in a second, but dude, just seeing him in the game and a thousand, over a thousand days since he's played football last. That's just insane. I can't can't fathom it. You know, he came in, 90,000 people in the stadium were just going crazy. And also, too, I, I was watching, you know, the nation took notice. You know, it was nice to know. Second most viewer count since 1996 on opening weekend game. Nine million viewers on TV. So it's just it like, helped that you were playing by yourself on a Sunday evening. That does help, but too, it's just like people want Notre Dame to lose. And I mean, kind of like with Tennessee, like people, people like when like these teams are good. And, you know, Mike Norvell is starting to get these boys in the right spot. What do y'all think? I have hey, to I say, Sunday is exactly why college football is the best on the face of the planet. There, there, there are books that aren't written better than what was laid out in that football game. To be down, to have someone who hasn't played the sport that they love in over a thousand days to come back. Almost three years. Three years to be, come back from 18 points down to And then to have that shocker of an ending with the whole kicking debacle, I mean... That that is why you watch the sport, and I I haven't had that between the Georgia and Clemson game and that game. That was some of the most fun I've had this, and it, it was incredible to watch. I do have to say, you played a pretty good game of football, beginning like better than I've seen Florida State playing a really long. What was up with going for it on on your side of the field? That was that was where I was kind of like that was a Florida State that. right there. Coach Norvell said. It, uh, analytically, you know, it made sense in that spot, but I don't know, man. I think that's an easy cop out. I don't know what he was doing. I was like, that's hey, when I threw. That's when I threw you in can't the towel. Teach an old dog new tricks. I know he's a new dog, hey. but that Florida State culture over the last couple of years just crept up on him. And I would be remiss you know too. This this one's for you and uh, Cameron and Taylor. I'd be remiss. I mean, Milton's the top story, but on defense, Jermaine Johnson. Ooh. Hey, and I crazy was saying, stat of the crazy stat of the night. He is one more game like that away from having more sacks than our entire defensive line last year. That's crazy. By far, y'all's best defensive player was uh, yes. third string on our defense. That's crazy. I know. But, I mean, but that's like, but I mean, and that's I don't mean that necessarily to dig, and I know it came off that way, and I'm I'm touting you, no, you, you unintentionally, you knew it did. <laughs> I mean, I wasn't going to mention it, but since he transferred from Georgia, how can I not right, throw that in? Right, right, But nonetheless, nonetheless, I know this segment is who did Florida State lose to? But you know what? This week it feels like who did Florida State play a great game to? I'm sorry. Like, I, I can't come in here 
and talk shit on Florida State and put them down. Because quite honestly, and I was I was watching the game with Taylor, and I was telling him a little bit about this. Notre Dame is the most propped up and fake hype team every single year. And they do it in ways like this. Because if that game was, if Notre Dame and Florida State was placed on a, on Saturday with the regular slate of games, no offense to Florida State, but that would have just been probably kind of lost in the shuffle depending on when it came on. You know, I might tune into it if, if it's, you know, if I got nothing to watch kind of deal. But the way they, ESPN hypes up Notre Dame every year, they put them on a new day against a Florida State team who proved they're up and coming, I believe, but most likely on their way to 6-6 six and six, probably. And Notre Dame struggled with them. And Notre Dame still moved up a spot. And Notre Dame's still probably going to be in the top five for the season's over with because they're going to struggle with every other independent bad team that they play all year. And I hate it. But you know what? I loved it for this reason. What a great game by Florida State. What a great game. And I know Notre Dame's got a, a few different pieces they're moving around. But I was really, really impressed by Florida State. Not only did they fight, but they got down and they came back. And, you know, two, three years ago, the Florida State that we've seen, they would have given up. They would have lost by 40. That's what I'm saying. They would have thrown the towel in, and 18 would have turned into 24 and 31 real quick. But they fought back, and I love to see it. And especially college football. Like Like we talked about, it doesn't get more college football than that game right there. Milton Magic coming back. Should have won that game if Norval didn't freeze his own kicker. And I know that's a that's a tough loss to come back from. But I think they should take away and build on that because that's the kind of loss that you build the program around. You didn't no. give up. That's a top ten team. They out talented Florida State five to one, just top to bottom on roster. And Florida State played a great game. I think that's too like we talked about it's hard to have success and to to play in big games when your guys don't buy into what you're trying to do. And I think you saw that with Florida State and, and Mike Norvell. Um, obviously, there's going to be you know, more learning curves, more adversity thrown their way throughout the season and throughout you know, his tenure there over the next couple years. Um, it's going to happen. That takes time to kind of work out those kinks. But I think the, the biggest takeaway is those guys played hard, and, and they played hard for all four quarters. There wasn't a single point in that game where – they were just like, you know what? They're a better team than us. We're just gonna, we're gonna run our offense, or whatever happens, happens. They played hard, man. They're flying to the ball. They're being aggressive. They're making plays, and that is such a, a good sign, not only for those players as a group, but for the coaches and for Mike Norvell and for the fans. Seeing a group of guys that's really been in the trenches, climbing their way out, right, Bryce, and um. You know, so like y'all said, great game for Florida State, even even with the loss on the resume. Um, you know, that 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 is something to build on. Um, and just a quick note, Mackenzie Milton was a quarterback at UCF when Josh Heupel was a head coach. So that's kind of cool. Um, you know, and, and he's, he's just a great football player, um, you know, just fighting through that adversity, rehab, and, and maybe not even being able to – to walk again properly, much less play in a college football game and, and to come out there in a big game when you're down. The offense just looked like it clicked so much more with McKenzie Milton, you know, versus um, yeah. Jordan Travis. Um, so and when Milton took off to run the ball, dude, I was like, 
bro, <laughs> I had to close my eyes on that. His mom was crying in the stands. I was like, please, dude. It's just, it's just insane. Like you were saying, the doctor was like, I've never seen anyone, you know, play sports really, let a, let alone like walk good again from the surgery. It's just, it's just a ma- nice moral victory, you know, just having him out there. And once a culture thing, I mean, when once see Milton stepped on that field and started connecting, I mean, that first pass, that first, I mean, you could just feel it. Like the Florida State team just felt different. And it was, it, even if he doesn't go off and win really anything this season, I mean, just the excitement of him being there, it's it's enough to watch. So it's, it's also too. Yeah. yeah, I agree. Also, too, um, did y'all see that Notre Dame safety, Kyle Hamilton? Just that sideline to sideline interception he had. Dude is going to be. Off. Yes, dude is going to be top five in not this coming up draft, but the next. He is insane. He's stupid. Keep your eyes on him. I could be wrong, but it, I thought he's going to be in this draft right here. No, next uh, next draft, 2023. Okay, okay. okay. My, my bad. I actually muted my microphone as well. but No, you're good. No, We're I, just kind of watching you talk to yourself for a good second there. Yeah, it was nice yeah. seeing your mouth move but not hear words come out. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, though, I, I, I get it, though, because that's actually kind of what I see from Tennessee. You know, it's nice to see them step on the field but not actually play football. Very similar, same analogy. Yeah, that's, that's um, a good one there. Um, yeah. Like, dude, this has just been such an exciting week of football, and I'm just so glad it's back. I mean, we're talking upsets. We're talking just the atmosphere, college game day, Lee Corso. I mean, it just there's just nothing better than it. Week one, a lot of ups and downs. All of our teams, um, you know, despite the Florida State loss, I, I think are in a, in a good spot, um, you know, kind of going into, into next week. Um, I'm kind of curious, just over the games that you were able to watch, kind of see highlights of, check ESPN, Bleacher Report, what was y'all's biggest upset of, of the weekend and kind of your takeaway from that game? I will, <laughs> Clark Lee at Vanderbilt, be worried. Be worried. <laughs> you can't score a single touchdown against East Tennessee State University. And hey, go Buccaneers, baby. Oh, boy. That, that. <laughs> That was something to see. And I know some something losing to whoever it was that they lost. This, I mean, that's just tough. I mean, even if you're Vanderbilt, you, you can't lose to East Tennessee. That's it's tough. I, I personally, I, I enjoyed it because I hate Vandy. But also, especially week one of, of college football, I, I enjoy when the SEC does very well against their opponents. Um, unlike eight, the ACC. Um, so that one kind of – I did enjoy seeing Vandy lose, but I, I do like the, the SEC kind of com- camaraderie at the beginning of the season and just once again proving why, why the SEC is the toughest conference. Um, I, <laughs> right. no um, I, and honestly, I know we touched on this a little bit earlier. My biggest upset for the weekend was UCLA over LSU. Um, you know – Yeah, and and honestly, too, like, the craziest stat to me from that game was their quarterback, Dorian Thompson-Robinson. 
he completed 9 of 16 passes. On 9 completed passes, he had 260 yards and 3 touchdowns. Like, that to me is insane. Well, about how you can't win a football without a run game. I mean, against a team like LSU, LSU only averaged 2 yards per while UCLA is out here almost averaging 5. So yeah. Zach Charbonnet, is it Charbonnet? Charbonnet. Charbonnet, yeah. he was actually a, um, I think he ran for 117 and a touchdown in that game. And he was a transfer from Michigan. And in 2019, he rushed for close to 700 yards on a Michigan team, um, you know, and, and saw glimpses there. Um, I think he got hurt the season uh, last season at Michigan, but he, he transferred to UCLA and had a really good week one. Um, so I think that was a, a big win for UCLA moving forward in that division where, you know, teams like you know, Oregon are getting talked about. Um, you know, so it, it, it's a good win for them to build off of and to kind of take that momentum going towards the rest of the season. Um, so I personally, I enjoyed that, even though not an LSU fan, same type of thing. I like it when the SEC does well, but that was just impressive. Um, they came to play in their sissy blue shirts. So I think, um, not, it's not like a competition or anything, but I think my pick outdoes everything. A team that was projected to lose by 25 points. Playing a pretty stout team. I mean, they've had success the last several years in the Pac-12. Montana beats Washington. Them boys, them boys, you know, they're coming out of what whatever exists in Montana. Who knows? You know, eating elk meat before the game. Bunch of good old boys just, you know. Elk meat is good now. We play football, I guess. (laughs) They go out there against Washington. They take care of business. 13 to 7, another defensive game like we've been talking about earlier in the show. Beautiful. I just love it. I was going to say Duke and uh, UNC Charlotte because Club Lit, Will Healy, you know, that was a fun game, but it's Duke. You expect that from Duke. Washington? Washington, they're like a top four, top three team in the Pac 12, you know, as of like the last five years. So just seeing Montana, I, I mean, I knew Montana had a football team. But did I really know Montana had a football team until? Y'all remember you know, when uh, when everyone was trying to make a case for Washington uh, that year? They played Alabama in the semifinal with Jake Browning as a quarterback. I do remember that. Yeah, that was the that was, was that was I mean Alabama. ridiculous. Washington will will never ever be at the top of college football. I hate to say that because um, I'm sure some of their fans feel feel otherwise, but. It's just they're just not a program that's meant to be dominant. I don't I don't know if that sounds bad, but no one cares if Washington is good at football. And quite honestly, you would think they'd recruit a little better and be a better program, considering up in the Pac-12, there's not many other teams outside of Oregon to compete with, and Washington's kind of one of the bigger names. So you'd actually think they'd be better. Yeah, I I support Washington State because of my boy. um, Oh, what's his name for the? Yeah, Gardner Minshew. Go Cougs, baby. Go Cougs. Yeah. Well, <laughs> well, I'm all, my pick is, uh, I kind of mentioned it a little earlier in the show, my upset on the weekend is not a specific game, but more in the larger, the grand scope of things. The biggest upset of the weekend is the ACC's chances of getting a playoff team. 
Um, I know, Bryce, you think, you think I'm just running my mouth, but I'm going to be honest with you. For the first time since 1989, the ACC had two top 10 opponents, and both of them lost. That's the first time since 1989 a conference has had two top 10 teams week one go down and lose. Did you also know that since college football playoff, like the playoff system has been inactive, not a single team that has lost their week one game has made the playoff. So that's not happened yet. And I don't doubt. See, what Clemson Clemson could afford, because Clemson will, it's honestly, it's Clemson will be the playoff team. I don't think anybody thinks that Miami or North Carolina is going to resurrect. It'll be Clemson. So I'm speaking directly about Clemson. Clemson can afford a, a Georgia loss. What they couldn't afford was the, the rest of the ACC also losing. Yeah, and that's it exactly looks bad. You don't, you don't have a signature win on your resume as you go throughout the regular season. Had North Carolina exactly. had a dominant win, had Miami made it a close game versus Bama, had you exactly. know Florida State upset Notre Dame, that would have been a little different story. But with all of those teams not taking care of business or even making it, you know, other yeah. than the Florida State Notre Dame game, you don't have a quality win on your on your resume, especially already having a weak strength of schedule. That does not play in your favor That's what I'm either. Saying. That's what I'm saying. I mean, UNC lost to an unranked Virginia Tech. I know Go Miami, ahead, Alabama. Duke, Duke gets upset to Charlotte. You know, Georgia Tech to Northern Illinois, and Louisiana, Louisville gets blown out by Ole Miss. And, and Bryce, I know you're itching to say something, so I'll wrap it up right here. <laughs> I, don't well, doubt, hold on, I don't doubt that Clemson will run their schedule. I don't, I don't doubt that. But here's where Clemson – here's the problem Clemson runs into now. They no longer have – they don't have a ranked opponent left on their schedule. They needed – they needed UNC or Miami to be good and be a top 15 team come the ACC championship. Because what now – what now Clemson needs? And, Bryson, I know you're sitting here thinking, I'm just running my mouth. What Clemson now needs is for utter chaos in college football. They need Alabama, Georgia, Oklahoma, Ohio State, and I'm even going to say Cincinnati. And they're going to need a Pac-12 team because if Oregon decides to do their thing, which I don't believe, but they need two lost teams because I don't believe that a thirteen or a, a one-loss ACC champ Oklahoma, I mean Clemson, with no ranked wins on your schedule is enough to get them in without chaos. Because at that point, what it'll come down to, it won't come down to who did you lose to. It'll come down to who did you beat. And there's yeah. not a single team on that schedule that will impress the committee when it comes down to it. And if I'm being honest, Clemson has issues that aren't going to get fixed. Their offensive line is a problem that's not going to get fixed this season. Now, they won't see a defensive line like Georgia's, but, and, and their wide receivers do not have the speed in years past to take the top off a of defense. So I'm just saying – I don't think Clemson gets in the playoff. The ACC will I, not have a playoff I think, team too, year. even kind of with that in mind, I wouldn't even, like, it wouldn't surprise me to see three SEC teams in the playoffs. I mean, you're talking about Bama, <sighs> Georgia, and A&M. I mean, it, it's going to come down to how that shakeup of, of Bama and A&M go. But let's say, for instance, A&M beats Bama, makes it to the uh, SEC championship, plays Georgia, a&M wins, Georgia's still going to get in as a one-loss, having the win against Clemson and the, the win out of the season if everything goes as planned. A&M 
as potentially an undefeated team or even a one loss if they lose to Georgia. And then Bama, I know it sucks because I always make the argument that says if you don't win your conference, you shouldn't make the playoffs. I feel like that's fair, but we've been proved wrong in in instances with Alabama specifically, knowing that they are one of the best teams in college football year in and year out. It would be crazy to leave them out but put in a Cincinnati team. You know, so depending on how that kind of stretch of the season goes, it wouldn't surprise me to see three SEC teams in the playoffs. I think now that Georgia's beat Clemson, I think the chances of the SEC championship potentially being a one versus two, two 12 and 0 teams, I think that's a real possibility. I mean, I know we got a long, we got a long season before we get there. It's a, but I mean, with Georgia getting past Clemson, I mean, I will say Georgia's got a very favorable schedule to to, to go 12 and 0. And it's not unfathomable to think that A&M and Alabama, one could go 12 and 0, the other 11 and one, depending on the head to head. That's not unfathomable either. And then one team sitting there at that five spot, waiting to slip right in after conference championship weekend. I don't know. Assuming Clemson runs the table, which I'm almost certain they will, like we all are, they get into the playoffs. There's no debate about it. Yes. If you Oklahoma is going to lose a game this year. Spencer Rattler did not look good in week one. Ohio State, they are probably going to lose a game this year. You know? If you put the head to head of Clemson Oklahoma and Ohio State, the three teams that are usually in that like third or fourth spot. Clemson has gonna beat out those teams head to head. They took Georgia. Georgia didn't have a single offensive score when they oh, played. Oh, but that defense earlier, is stout. But just earlier you were talking all about how we didn't have none of our players and you were throwing that point out there. So still you got five of, stars, you got five star and four star skill players. JT Downs is a former five star. I'm not saying we didn't have talent on that field. But there's a difference between the guys that you were practicing with all fall and then this last month, last three weeks before the game, you kind of slowly been injured and you lost players, and now you're throwing to a bunch of freshmen and sophomores. There's still a difference even if they're talented. And this was the same point that I brought up before the game started or like a week before the game was happening. I said there's more pressure on Clemson because Georgia has a better schedule, and the SEC, by perception, whether you want to like it or not, by perception, the SEC is deemed a harder conference. So Georgia has more right, more room to right the wrong, whereas Clemson, now they are under perception of you lost to a hindered Georgia team, and you have no ranked opponents left on your schedule to make up for that loss. So I'm just being real. At the end of the day, I don't believe the committee is going to sit there and look at, oh, you beat you beat six and six Wake Forest. You beat seven. You beat five and seven Florida State. I don't think they're going to look at that and say, you know, Clemson, you're you're in. I think Georgia, chaos. I think though, as Georgia blows out teams this year, and as Georgia does good. That makes Clemson look better because if Clemson runs the table like we all think they do and Georgia does their thing all year and it's not close with most teams, which it shouldn't be, that's just going to make Clemson look even better because that offense is going to get figured out. They're going to win the ACC outright. And you have to agree with me on this because if if Georgia just dominates like they should, Clemson is just going to look even better and better as the weeks go on. Oh, this is the Clemson team that didn't allow Georgia to score any points. They're not going to look at, oh, well, they're missing so-and-so and and missing so-and-so. They're going to look at – no, they won't. If you're in a position where it's a one-loss Clemson – losing to Penn State, a Big Ten champion, and then you have – 
Oh, uh, Texas A&M lost to uh, Alabama. I don't know if Clemson's beating out Ohio State and uh, Texas A&M for that because Texas A&M had to go through, well, they lost Alabama, but they still, that's wins against Auburn and LSU and Ole Miss and whoever they have to fight on the East and all of that. And then Ohio State, yeah, they lost to Penn State, most likely beat them in the Big Ten Championship. That's a win against Michigan and Wisconsin. I just don't see an avenue where put up against teams like that. I think I think kind of the only way I think the only way that Clemson does still have a shot is if North Carolina and Miami essentially essentially went out. And because in that case, if or or not necessarily went out, but if if they do very well for the rest of the season and, and win out or even have maybe one more loss and, and, you know, Clemson, whoever they would play, you know, I think that would potentially be the only, only case you can make for them because at this point right now in the ACC and where it's at, your conference looks pretty weak, you know, and, and coming into this season, you at least had North Carolina and Miami to kind of get those quality wins. They were both ranked inside that preseason top 15 um, you know, so now that that's kind of, they're, they're slipping down a little bit after their losses. Um, you know, who knows Florida state could mess around and, and maybe upset a Clemson, uh, if they kind of, you know, show glimpses of this past weekend. But as of now, that's Clemson's only shot, especially when you look at potential undefeated Georgia team, either a potential, uh, undefeated Alabama team, a potential undefeated, um, um, A&M team. And then you're talking about an Oklahoma or Ohio State with a one loss and a conference championship. I don't see that there's a way they get and in unless probably, a couple of those things happen. Especially, and, and what also works for Ohio State and Georgia and Alabama and A&M. And I don't know, to be honest with you, even probably Oklahoma, because they'll have to go through Iowa State. And there's another team that I'm not in Texas that looked all right. So we'll see how they go. The thing is, Ohio State could win, could lose a game, win the Big Ten championship, and still probably end up with two wins versus ranked opponents. And Oklahoma could squeak out a win or two versus ranked opponents in a conference championship. And then I'm and I'm saying this right now, and this is my I know we're not doing top four, but my top four teams, it goes Oklahoma, I'm Alabama, Georgia, Ohio State. I got Cincinnati at four right now. Desmond Ryder and that defense and that offense is good. So if you're looking at an undefeated Cincinnati coming into the season and Oklahoma, Georgia, Alabama, and Ohio State, they've all got undef- they've all got ranked wins, some conference championships, and then you're comparing it to 13 and 1 Clemson with no ranked wins, I think there's a very real chance Clemson is on the outside looking in at this one this year. It always gets really interesting too, and I, I know we'll talk about this as the season you know gets later and towards that back stretch. But it, it's almost like we say these things because they are very realistic. But at the end of the day, they we are. have no idea one oh. what's going to happen for the rest of the season, and two what the committee is going to do because we've seen questionable calls from the committee since the the uh, college football playoff era even began. You know, so there's no even guaranteed for if all of those things happen, they could say no. Clemson still gets a spot. You know, so there, there's a lot of factors. And that's why not I only the sport. 
Yeah, you know, not only just on the regular season, but on the committee alone, you know, and and we've seen those things kind of get shaken up a bit and and kind of stir the pot, and it always kind of comes down to that wire, and there there's little room for for mistakes as the season get, gets deeper and deeper. You know, it, it's hard to to have a strong resume one when you don't have a quality win. If you do have a an um you know an upset in there as a loss. Um, you know, it, it's hard to make a case for these teams and, and there's a lot of pressure on those dominant, consistent programs to one, not only win every single game, win your conference, because at the end of the day, that's the only way you're guaranteed to get in. If you go undefeated and win your conference, that's a lock. Anything else, there, there, there's no, there, you just have no idea what's going to happen. And that's why college football is the best sport in the world, you know, like. And you can have a great class. season. It doesn't matter if they don't like you, you know, like. True. Well, hey, before we wrap up, I got an upset that y'all should look out for next week. Miami, look out for Appalachia. Those dudes, they're always underrated. We know what happened with Michigan. Dev, you remember what happened in that game against Tennessee? North Carolina and South Carolina in the same year. Look out. Hey, hey, shout out Luke Combs, that App State alumni. Yes, sir. Keep producing music. Give us a shout out or something. <laughs> Send me a pair of free Crocs. I'll rep them. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I like that pick. I like App State. I'm not ready to give my uh, upset pick of the week yet. I will, I'll save that for the, the week two preview episode we got going. Yeah, for sure. Like I said earlier, man, it's been a great week of college football. We're back. This is where TMA just really thrives. We love talking college football. We we love hopping on the podcast, um, you know, repping our team, dogging on the other teams. It's just a fun atmosphere. Um, as always, we appreciate you all tuning in. Uh, thank you for supporting us. Shout out Matt uh, for for doing everything you do and making sure that that we get ourselves out there. Uh, it's a big help. Um, and most importantly, the viewers and listeners, whether you're on Apple Music, Spotify, YouTube, uh, we appreciate it. Join the Discord. Um, stay in the loop of new episodes. We always we were chatting over the whole weekend in our Discord with, with all the uh, the members about the games and, and kind of what how we thought you know the weekend was shaping up and going. So um, if you want to talk to us directly, yeah. join the Discord. Hop in. We have some fun conversations. Um, we'll wrap it up, and we'll see you guys next yeah. time. If uh, yeah. Kennesaw State beats Georgia Tech, I'll give every listener a dollar. Oh, I'll tell you what, I'm at for every every Discord follower we have. I'll give a dollar if if yeah, Kennesaw State can upset them. Absolutely, I'll throw, I'll match that for sure. You know what? Hey, throw me in there too. Throw me in there too. Um, I'm peer pressure. So go Owls, baby. Four dollars for every Discord member we. We have, and I know that ain't a lot, but hey, hey, that, that could be it. All you gotta do is, cl- all you gotta do is click a button, and I'm gonna Venmo you four dollars. Hey, that, that, that's, that a, that's a that's a Wendy's four for four. Hey, one yeah, more thing that's too. A, that's a double stack Wendy's. One four more for thing four too. Sure. That man Bucky Williams against some burn against Ole Miss this coming up Saturday. Hopefully, uh, we can get him yes, on sir. the show soon. Bucky's been uh, wreaking oh, havoc, man. He, he's one to watch out for over there at Austin. Yeah, P. Go Govs. I was actually, uh, that's crazy. I was actually able to be in attendance of the UTC uh, Austin P game this past weekend. And I got to say, man, Austin P 
dominated that game from start to finish. I mean, the, the final score ended up being 30 to 20, but that Austin P offensive line was dominant. I mean, there was never a time where I thought, well, UTC could win this game. I never did. Austin yeah, P might be something for him. Yeah. Look about Bucky Williams. And watch it's out cool. for Austin It's P cool, now. too, because uh, Bucky's younger brother, Reed, is a lot an offensive lineman at UTC. So I know that was a cool little family rivalry and, and I'm, I'm sure a side yeah. bet they had going on, but uh, y'all, y'all watch out for Bucky Williams uh, in the next couple of years. He's, he's going to be, uh, he'll be getting drafted. The kid's a stud and he's been balling out. So y'all, y'all look him Definitely up on Huddle. To watch. Yeah, he's going to be picking uh, Ben Roethlisberger off the ground. <laughs> <laughs> that, uh, yeah. that, that ring old boy out there repping, uh, been doing some great stuff. Nah. So, um, y'all check him I out. wish he was able to, I wish he was one day in a position to pick the Steelers quarterback up off the ground, but most likely Bucky's going to be a top pick. So most likely it's going to be a team like the Panthers that are able to grab him up in that <laughs> top 10 or something. So Sam Darnold really has a hot prospect to look forward to. And <laughs> <laughs> hey, yes, we'll get the word out there. We'll, we'll let Sam Darnold know he needs a, to draft Bucky Williams specifically. Um, but no, we appreciate it. Absolutely. Always a good time with you fellas. Um, you know, y'all stay Don't tuned. Forget. We got some good stuff coming your way. Hey, Thanks check y'all. us out. Check us out at Too Many Audibles on every social media. We're on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, Instagram, MySpace, MySpace, <laughs> yeah, hey, yeah, space. LinkedIn. Not, not MySpace. Our space is Discord. We would love to chat with y'all. Seriously, Omega. follow us on everything spelled exactly how it sounds. And honestly, check out our Discord. We want to hear from you. Come in and chat with us. And if you got something you want to talk about, you might just be featured on the show. We might throw you on for a segment and hear what you got to say. So check us out. We'd love to talk with you. For sure. Thank you. Good stuff, gentlemen. Go balls, baby. If you like our content, make sure you follow us on Twitter and Instagram. At Too Many Audibles.